Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Stupendous Saturday to one and all. Welcome into the Zuni to Kill Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we've got a tremendous show for you. As coming up in the second segment, Sean Zarello of the Action Network going to be joining me. We're going to be previewing Saturday's games as a lot of the guys that were acquired at the trade deadline going to be making their debuts with regards to starting pitchers. We're going to talk a little bit about where he thinks some of the value is in regards to some of the teams that made moves as well. So that is going to be interesting. In the final segment, I do give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and something I like to call touch them all. The first part of the show is always where I like to answer Twitter questions. I'm not going to use the sound or anything like that, but I did notice one very common question from a lot of people, and it's, do I break down my record based on splits, National League, American League, over, under, everything like that? And the answer is no, just because, well, I am a man that hosts and produces four different podcasts. I'm going to be doing some work starting, I would say, next week with the Vegas Sets and Information Network. So the only reason why I don't is just because I do not have the time for it. So that is my answer to that. My apologies. I wish I had something more elaborate than that, but I am one man. So that is why I don't do record splits or anything like that. Now let's take a look back at what all happened in Major League Baseball on Friday. Try to find some trends and try to become better handicappers from it. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for rakers and fakers. If you had the over like I did in Cubs versus Brewers, that's a little bit of a tough one as the Cubs get an easy win by kind of 6-2. Zach Davies just continues to 
Not be sharp for the Brewers, to say the least. He winds up going four innings in this one, gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including getting taken deep twice for the Cubs. J.C. Hayward at his 16th home run of the year, and Javi Baez, his 26th dinger of the campaign, as the Brewers' bullpen actually didn't look terrible in this one. Drew Pomerantz made his debut with the Brewers. He got two punch-outs in the eighth inning, and all in all, it was only Jeremy Jeffries that gave up runs. He gave up two runs while recording four outs, but they were able to do a solid job there, and the Brewers did get a home run off the bat of Ryan Braun, his 16th of the year. As Jose Quintana, a good start for the Cubs. He goes six innings and gives up two runs. Typically, he gives up three runs and goes six innings, so a little bit of a change there. And then for the Cubs bullpen, they all provide a combined three innings, giving up just one hit and no runs in the process. But for the Cubs, they wind up going four of 13 with men in scoring position, but they leave 13 on base, all of which were in the first seven innings, to deny you that ever so elusive under. But the Cubs now 37 and 18 at home. Needless to say, they've been a steamroller in that regard. The Yankees and Boston Red Sox were a steamroller in regards to getting runs in the first inning. And then after that, there was nothing. The Yankees wind up winning by a count of 4-2 to over the Boston Red Sox for the Yankees. They get a grand slam out of Glaber Torres in the first inning, his 21st of the year. And for the Boston Red Sox, they get a home run out of J.D. Martinez, his 24th of the year, both in the first inning. And then the game died from a totals perspective. Eduardo Rodriguez, after giving up that grand slam, settled down. Six and two-thirds innings for him. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. He had six walks in the process, by the way, but... He was able to keep things afloat there. And then you had the Red Sox, who now have Nathan Eovaldi in the bullpen, provide the final four outs there without giving up a single hit. And then for the Yankees, Paxley gives up that home run in the first inning, but he's able to go six innings. He gives up just two hits. Those two earned runs. And then from there, the bullpen of Tommy Canley, Zach Britton, and Aroldis Chapman go a combined three innings. They give up just one hit in the process. And it's really interesting with the New York Yankees because this is actually the best over team on the road so far this year. You take a look at what they've done at home. Their home overs are not really cashing. They're the third worst team in regards to the whole over at home. 23 overs, 33 unders, and two pushes. So that is something that really stands out. The Chicago White Sox have not been good to the over recently. They have had five games over their last 23 in which they've scored more than four runs. And in this one, they get approximately four runs, but they're able to get a 15-inning win over the Philadelphia Phillies. This just went final as I came on this podcast. It's one of the weirdest things you'll ever see for the White Sox. Ivan Nova, decent start in this one. Five innings pitch. He gives up two runs, only one of which was earned. And you got to give your hats off to the bullpen of the White Sox. It continues to be good. A combined 10 innings, giving up one run in the process. That is pretty darn impressive. And for the White Sox, they were able to get a home run early in the game. Jose Abreu goes deep off of the starter Jason Vargas, who made his debut for the Phillies. And Vargas was pretty good. He gave up that home run to Abreu, which is Abreu's 23rd of the year. And Vargas goes six and a third innings. Gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then the bullpen of the Phillies was very, very good. They wind up before position players pitch, going six and two-thirds innings, giving up one run in the process. And then you had position player Roman Quinn pitch the 14th and 15th inning. Looked like the White Sox were going to take the lead in the 14th, but Jose Abreu got thrown out by starting pitcher Vince Velasquez, who threw a dime from left field. You're never going to see that again in your life. And Roman Quinn, who pitched two innings in this game and got the loss, also had his stolen base and his third home run of the year that came off of Ivan Nova. Needless to say, that's very weird. And Ivan Nova's been cashing some tickets for you. I will say that, but I don't know what we make out of that. I guess 
fade teams that use a possession player in the 14th inning. The Pittsburgh Pirates have been a good fade recently. They are now 4-16 ever since the All-Star break as they were able to get a win over the New York Mets by a count of 8-4. The Mets entered into this game with the second-best bullpen ERA in the big leagues since the All-Star break, and a lot of it was expected out of the bullpen, and Taylor Bachelor was not able to deliver as coming out of the bullpen, he gave up three runs in his inning, but all in all for the bullpen, they do go four and a third innings, giving up those three runs, as Steven Mads was not long for this game. Three and two-thirds innings, gives up five runs, all of which were earned, and the home run that Bachelor gave up was to Sterling Marte, his 19th of the year. Overs, just for some reason, continue to cash, by the way, in Pittsburgh. The over rate at Pittsburgh, 32 overs, 16 unders, three pushes. That continues to be hot. And what else continues to be hot for the New York Mets is the fact that they are getting some runs, but in this one, they wind up leaving eight men on base as for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Trevor Williams, not a great start, but certainly is starting to look a little better. He goes six innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned, and then the bullpen goes a combined three innings. They do give up one run, but that was an unearned run, so they certainly did their job. The Toronto Blue Jays have now won six of their last seven. Speaking of hot teams, they knock off the Baltimore Orioles by a count of five to two. Actually, a good pitching performance here from the Baltimore Orioles, a team that is giving up two home runs per game. And they wound up giving up two in this one as well. But Aaron Brooks, in his start, winds up going five innings. He gives up three runs. He gave up an interception. I mean, a home run, as he's not the former New Orleans Saints quarterback. Is going yards for the Toronto Blue Jays. Freddie Galvis is 17th of the year. And Brandon Drury is 12th as the bullpen for the Baltimore Orioles winds up going a combined four innings and giving up two runs. So not a bad performance. And for the Orioles, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Chris Crush Davis. His ninth of the year. And that came off of Sam Gavilio out there in the bullpen. Wilmer Font wound up being essentially the opener in this game, and Nick Kingham served as a bulk guy. These two guys go a combined five innings, not giving up a single run. So essentially for the Toronto Blue Jays, they're both on one seven innings, giving up two runs. Very, very good performance there for the Toronto Blue Jays, who continue to be white hot. The Angels continue to be ice cold. They have now lost six of their last eight games, and five of those losses came to the Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles, by the way. So you do want to note that as the Cleveland Indians get a 7-3 win. And for the Indians, Roberto Perez was able to provide the big shot in this one. His 19th of the year that came off of Dylan Peters who wound up being the bulk guy. Taylor Cole served as the opener and the Angels probably shouldn't have used an opener. He gets one out and he gives up four runs, all of which were earned and then from there, you did have Peters go seven and two-thirds innings. He did give up three runs including that home run, but all in all, he was at the very least able to preserve a bullpen of the Angels that has been very bad and the lone bright spot for the bets of the Angels is the fact that Mike Trout got a home run in the first inning off of Mike Clevenger. For Trout, that is his 36th of the year and Clevenger was absolutely amazing. This is a guy that you should be looking to bet. He's getting prices like an ace, and he's performing like one. Six and a third innings. Gives up that solo home run to Mike Trout and absolutely nothing else. You did have Adam Kimmer give up two runs out there in the bullpen, a bullpen that ranks number one in regards to ERA for the Cleveland Indians in the league, but all in all, they were certainly able to get a nice win there. The Cincinnati Reds take down the Atlanta Braves by a count of 5-2. to two. It's Kevin Gosman just continues to be a guy that you cannot bet. He is now 3-7, and seven, 6-1-9 ERA. He winds up going four and two-thirds innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. I know a lot of people hate on the Atlanta Braves bullpen, but once again, it was solid in this one. Four and a third innings. They give up a grand total of two hits, no earned runs. They did have to evade a lot of danger, but with that said, they still did their job. And for the Atlanta Braves, they had just four hits in this one, but they were both home runs, both of the solo variety. Austin Riley is 17th of the year, and Ronald Acuna Jr. is 26th, as Alex Wood has looked very good since coming off the injury list. He gave up two runs, both of which were solo home runs in this one, and across his two starts, 12 and two-thirds innings, has given up three runs in his two starts, and then the Cincinnati Reds, who have had the worst bullpen ERA the last three days out there in the big leagues, they record the final seven outs without any 
must or fuss, and Joey Votto gets his 11th home run of the year. The Cincinnati Reds have played 63% of their games to the under so far this year, by far the highest rate out there in the big leagues. The Texas Rangers have had one of the highest rates of winning at home so far this year, and they were able to take down the Detroit Tigers by a count of 5 before the Texas Rangers. Home record this year now 33-22, and 22, though if you had the run line like I did in this one. Jose LeClerc's wild pitch in the ninth inning that allowed a run to score certainly will not sit well with you. And for the Detroit Tigers, they also left nine men on base, which was not good for the over. And Tyler Alexander... He was good for the over. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then you had the bullpen going combined two and a third innings, giving up one run. That one run was a sole home run. It's going deep for the Texas Rangers in this contest was Hunter Pence. His 16th home run of the year and Rudin Odor is 19th. Lance Lynn continues to be magic for the Texas Rangers, though. Seven innings pitch. He gives up one run and a Rangers bullpen that looked to be a bit improved. Took a setback in this one. They give up three runs in two innings, so that was the difference maker there in the run line. But the Texas Rangers continue to be stout at home. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers just looking a little bit helpless at this point. They are now 7-32 and in their last 39 games. A team that has not been a whole lot better recently, the Seattle Mariners, wind up playing another over this one against the Houston Astros as the Astros are able to get an easy 10-2 win. If you take a look at the Seattle Mariners for the year, they're just continuing on an impressive overtrain. 68-38 and 38 with five pushes is the over to the under. That's a 64% clip. And for the Seattle Mariners, they are giving up the most runs per game on the road of any team this year. And they wound up having Yusei Kikuchi give another very poor start. Four innings pitch. Gives up six runs, all of which were earned. I believe that all but five of his starts have went over this year. And then from there, the bullpen winds up going to combine four innings. They give up four runs. And Kikuchi gives up four home runs. The bullpen gives up to the good news is the Mariners got one of their own, Daniel Vogelback, his 26th of the year that came off of Wade Miley, who was certainly having a party in the USA in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which came on that home run, and then the bullpen came in like a wrecking ball. They go three innings, do not give up a single run, and then for the Houston Astros, you are not going to see any of those balls again that they were hitting. Yes, I'm using a lot of Miley Cyrus lyrics, and I am not ashamed, as Martin Maldonado, his seventh home run of the year, Jake Marizic, his ninth, Jose Altuve, his 17th, Carlos Correa, his 14th, Elamendiz Diaz, his seventh, and Jordan Alvarez, his 13th. It was just another complete clobbering by the Houston Astros. It was a very, very high-scoring game between the Minnesota Twins and the Kansas City Royals, as the Twins get an 11-9 win in this one. And you should note, the Minnesota Twins coming off a loss, now 29-12 and this year straight up. That is the best record out there in the big leagues. They've won over 70% of their games coming off a loss. And for the Minnesota Twins, they were able to do so with just one home run in this one. Nelson Cruz is 27th home run of the year and they were able to overcome, well, not good pitching in general. As Martin Perez winds up going five innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. From there, the bullpen gives up four runs and four innings as the Kansas City Royals were able to get some good power in this one. Brian Dozier Hunter Dozier winds up going deep twice in this one. His 17th and 18th of the year, and Cam Gallagher has picked it up with his bat, his third of the year. But Glenn Sparkman, who entered into this game with an ERA above eight on the road, well, those struggles continued as he wound up going four and two-thirds innings, giving up six runs, all of which weren't including that home run. And then from there, the bullpen of the Kansas City Royals, whenever you get into the long relievers, has not been good, and that was the case in this one as they go three and a third innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned as the Minnesota Twins have also been a very good team to the over so far this year as the over is 55, 48, and 5 for them. So they continue to just roll along. The San Francisco Giants, surprisingly enough, are scoring nearly two runs per game more on the road than they are at home. They're scoring 5.25 runs per game on the road, but the Colorado 
Rockies were able to hold them at bay, and the Rockies get a 5-4 win. For the Colorado Rockies, Peter Lambert, not necessarily a great start, but considering it was Coors, and he went six innings, giving up four runs, including a home run. Not necessarily bad. And then you had Jario Diaz and Scott Oberg provide a combined three innings. They had a little bit of danger along the way, but they did not give up a single run. As for the Giants, the big form of offense in this one was a Mike Ustremski home run, his 10th of the year. And Sean Anderson, who gave up four runs or more in every one of his starts in the month of July, actually looked decent in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs. But then you had the bullpen, which of the San Francisco Giants is looking vastly different because they sold away guys like Mark Melance and Sam Dyson and company. They wind up going a combined three innings. They give up two runs in the process, so not necessarily awful, but for the Colorado Rockies, they were just able to do a good job of playing small ball. They went two of nine with men scoring position, and they got two home runs. Ryan McMahon, his 12th of the year, and Trevor Story, his 23rd, as they were able to power pass the San Francisco Giants, who look to be going a little bit cold now after winning 20 out of their last 26 games. Going into their series with the Phillies, they've now lost three of their last four. You had to figure at some point they were going to go a little bit cold, though. And a team that has gotten really cold with the bats at home, the Arizona Diamondbacks, as they wind up losing to the Washington Nationals by a count of three to zilch. For the Nationals, Joe Ross, a very good start. Five and a third innings, he gives up one hit. And the Washington Nationals bullpen goes three and two-thirds innings, not giving up a single hit. This is a Nationals bullpen that has been right around league average since the beginning of June. They got some reinforcements in there as Hunter Strickland and Rayonis Ellis, two guys that they traded from, from Seattle, wound up getting a combined five outs and three strikeouts in this one. And for the Washington Nationals, they got the big hit when they needed it. Juan Soto, his 21st home run of the year to provide provide this team a little bit of insurance. And for the years on the Diamondbacks, this is one where you just have to chalk it up to bad luck for Alex Young. He continues to be a very good pitcher for the Diamondbacks, 260 ERA. He goes six innings in this one, gives up two runs, both of which were earned, and the bullpen wasn't necessarily bad. You had Greg Holland and Stefan Kicktron go a combined three innings, giving up just one run in the process. That one run was a solo home run by Juan Soto, but this is a Diamondbacks team that is in the bottom eight in the league in regards to runs per game at home, and in the bottom six in regards to home runs per game at home, meaning while they're in the top eight in regards to home runs per game on the road. So an interesting split there. And the LA Dodgers, who have been so good at home so far this year, for the fourth time this year, lose the San Diego Padres in Dodgers Stadium as they wind up losing this game by a count of 5-2. to two. The Dodgers for the year, now 41-15 and 15 at home as the Padres were able to get a very good start out of Eric Lauer in this one. Lauer winds up going six innings, giving up two runs, both of which were earned. And then for the San Diego Padres, they were able to get another save out of Kirby Yates. He has blown just one save so far this year as the bullpen of the Padres gives up just one hit and no runs in three innings. So you got to give to them. And you got to give it to the San Diego Padres for doing well with men in scoring position. Four of 12 there. As for the Dodgers, it was the first career start of their promising prospect, Dustin May, and he didn't look bad in this one. Five and two-thirds innings, he did give up four runs, but only three of which were earned. He was hurt by a Tyler White ear out there in the field. And then the LA Dodgers provided him with three and a third innings out of the bullpen, giving up one run in the process. So they didn't necessarily do a bad job there, but for the Dodgers, they just seemed to be a little bit hot and cold with their bat, and on this day, they were cold. So what did we all learn out there from Major League Baseball on Friday? The San Diego Padres might be the one team that had the Dodgers number at Dodger Stadium. The Chicago Cubs continue to win at home. The Boston Red Sox were 17-5 and to the over and 17-5 and straight up when Eduardo Rodriguez were starting, but 
Sometimes strange things happen in Yankee Stadium, including unders. Never, ever bet on a team live whenever they have a position player pitching in the 14th and 15th inning and have a starting pitcher out there in left field. But in all reality, the White Sox are still a little bit cold with their bats. The Pittsburgh Pirates continue to cash overs whenever they play at home. 66.7% of their games at home have went over. The Toronto Blue Jays continue to be white hot. Meanwhile, the LA Angels continue to scuffle, but Mike Clevenger is giving some very good starts for the Cleveland Indians. The Cincinnati Reds might have a very trustworthy starter in Alex Wood. Meanwhile, Kevin Gosman has to be on your fade list. Lance Lynn continues to roll for the Texas Rangers, a team that has been very good at home so far this year. The overs continue to cash whenever you say Kikuchi is on the mound for the Seattle Mariners, and the overs in general cash for the Mariners. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros continue to roll whenever Wade Miley is on the mound. The Minnesota Twins just continue to get a boatload of offense. A Glenn Sparkman, not a guy that you can trust on the road. The San Francisco Giants are generating a lot of offense when they are away from home, but the Colorado Rockies bullpen starting to look a little bit better. The Arizona Diamondbacks continue to struggle on offense when they are at home, but the Washington Nationals might have a very, very revamped bullpen. So that is what all happened on Friday out there in Major League Baseball. Now it's time to flip it forward to Saturday and helping me do so, a gentleman from the Action Network by the name of Sean Zarello. He's joined this podcast before and he's going to deliver some dynamite information. And that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. He's joined me a few times on this fine podcast, and he is a man that wears very, very many hats. He's a big contributor for the Action Network, giving out some good information there, Baseball HQ, Resball as well. And he's also a practicing lawyer, as you can follow him on Twitter at Sean Zarillo. That is Zarillo with a Z. Z E R I L L O is how you spell that last name. And Sean is spelled S E A N. Sean, how are you doing today? Doing great, Greg. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. And a team that's been doing great at home so far this year is the Chicago Cubs. They have now won over two thirds of their home games so far this year. And we're going to see the return of Cole Hamels on Saturday. I think this is really interesting as you've got two veterans on the mound. Gio Gonzalez going for the Milwaukee Brewers. Cole Hamels going for the Chicago Cubs. Obviously, we have no idea what the total is since this is a Wrigley Field game. That doesn't come out until the morning. But right now, we're noticing the Cubs as about a minus 130 favorite. Gio Gonzalez has been pitching pretty well for the Brewers this year. But Cole Hamels is a guy that before going on the injured list, I really liked him. What do you make out of this one? Because I typically tend to fade Guys in their first start coming off the injured list, but I do know also just how good the Cubs have been at home, so it makes it a tricky spot. Yeah, and a Wrigley Field day game, no less. And I feel like we've seen a lot of wacky Wrigley Field day games with the win there this year. So certainly going to be curious to see where that total ends up when it opens. I projected a weather-neutral total around nine and a half runs. I thought the line was pretty spot on. You know, I, I have the line split at minus 133 for the Cubs, 123 for the Brewers, which is literally right where the Brewers are at, 123 at the moment. So... I didn't really have an edge on this game. I certainly loved how Hamels was throwing the ball earlier in the year. My fantasy teams have been looking forward to his return. You know, he's certainly looked rejuvenated with the Cubs. So I think I'd lean that way, but I didn't really see much value on the game itself. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a tricky one. And another tricky one is how to gauge a first start of Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, obviously a part of that deal a few days ago with Cleveland Indians. 
sending him off to Cincinnati. I have no idea what the San Diego Padres were doing. The only guy they got in the deal was an outfielder that is going to be a prospect in Trammell. I don't even remember his first name, I'll be honest with you, as it is going to be the Red staking on the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. Right now I'm seeing Dallas Keuchel going for the Atlanta Braves and the Braves being about a minus 135 favorite. What do you make out of this? Because with Trevor Bauer with the Cleveland Indians, it was so intriguing because he had some starts where he was just absolutely dynamic. I think over his last 10 starts, so in four of them, he gave up at least five earned runs. And in the other six, he gave up like a combined four. It was one of those situations where you either got spectacular Trevor Bauer or you got really bad Trevor Bauer, and there's just not much in between with them. Yeah, so just to comment on that trade quick, I actually think the Indians did really well in getting a bunch of young Totally agree. That they'll have you get Samuel Reyes and Yasiel Puig to really bolster that lineup. No doubt there was clearly a need for them offensively, especially hitting left-handed pitchers. And even Logan Allen, you know, they can put him in the back end of their rotation. And Bauer, if you just look at his metrics, last year's a clear outlier. You know, I know he's certainly a good pitcher and he has big performances, but he is very up and down. That's just kind of who he is. He has really nasty stuff, but his stuff's so good that he has trouble controlling it sometimes. And he's either walking everybody or leaving it in the middle of the zone and getting pounded on his worst nights. So, you know, I think the Reds are really doing something kind of rolling over this next year strategy that they did last year where they were acquiring assets that they knew they would have under control for this season. So they'll have Luis Castillo and Bauer at the top of their rotation next year. And they've done a really good job with Sonny Gray and figuring out his breaking ball mix and how to get more spin on those. So maybe whatever they're doing with their pitching this year with their starting pitchers, maybe they can figure out something with Bauer that Cleveland wasn't able to. But I don't love the way Dallas Keuchel's been throwing the ball for Atlanta. You know, I, I think there was a drop-off last year, and there's a reason why Houston didn't want to pay him. I still think he's an effective starter, but I think he's a little bit overrated as well, and I do like this Braves team a lot. I think they improved at the deadline more than anybody in the National League, and I certainly think that alongside the Dodgers, they're a front-runner for the NL World Series contender, but... Actually, the Reds were the one play that I have locked in or the one side that I've locked in. I do see some value on them at over plus 120 and uh, taking a little shot on Bauer in his first start with Cincinnati. Should be a very interesting matchup as essentially two big summer acquisitions of Dallas Keuchel and Trevor Bauer going at it as we do have Sean Zarillo of the Action Network and Razball joining me right here on the podcast. With the trade deadline, we did see a lot of relievers move as well. You had a lot of NLE teams really bolster their bullpens. The Washington Nationals picked up some pieces. The Atlanta Braves, who we went through, they acquired a couple bullpen arms. The Washington Nationals, the Milwaukee Birds, the list goes on and on. The Minnesota Twins did as well, but they obviously didn't necessarily get the best performance out of Sam Dyson on Thursday, though I'll know. I do think that they improved themselves a little bit as well. Who are the teams that you felt like did the best at the trade deadline, aside from some of the obvious ones? Because everyone's raving about the Houston Astros with Zach Granke coming in and everything like that. And... Everyone also raving about the Cleveland Indians with them getting Famio Reyes and Yasiel Puig. But what are a couple under-the-radar moves that you think could make a little bit of an impact moving forward? Yeah, you know, Oakland adding pitching depth. So it was funny. I wrote in notes for somebody before the deadline. And about Tanner Roark, I literally wrote, he feels like a Oakland Athletic or a Tampa Bay Ray to me. And that's exactly where he ended up was in Oakland. Uh, you know, there was just something about his profile and... His, his pitch to contact ability with Oakland's defense that felt like it made sense for that team. You know, Homer Bailey, obviously, you're closing your eyes and praying pretty much anytime you're throwing him out there, though. Did have a good start the other day, but I think Oakland adding pitching depth, you know, they still got AJ Puck and Hazel Lazardo 
coming back at some point. So you got to keep in mind too that some of these teams are banking on guys coming back from the minor leagues to basically be pseudo, you know, transactions at this point of the year. I really don't know how much worse Arizona is now than they were before the Zach Ranky deal. You know, even at their major league level, their club is still pretty much set up to remain in this wild card hunt. Zach Gallon's going to go right into their rotation. They have Mike Leake, who they added, has started up as well. So I think Arizona did a really good job, not only with reloading their firm system, but kind of remaining competitive at the moment and straddling that middle ground. Tampa Bay, you know, they really needed starting pitching depth after losing Blake Snell and Tyler Glasnow, adding Trevor Richards to their mix. Thought he's a really interesting acquisition for them because he has a great changeup and they're so good as an organization at getting extra velocity out of the pitchers that they acquire. So adding Richards, adding Nick Anderson, who's got big velocity, they like that. They added a reliever from Texas who's pretty high octane as well. So all those teams kind of really just added pitching depth, you know, filled out their rotations and for, you know, now in the future. And I really think the most underrated acquisition, honestly, was Aaron Sanchez going to Houston. You know, they're going to use him in the rotation for now. It's going to start today. Sanchez is the kind of guy who I think is the ideal fireman that you would want in the playoffs. You know, he's been better in his last few starts, but Houston's really good at optimizing pitch mixes and getting guys to get more spin on their pitches and, you know, figuring out what makes them better. So the fact that Houston was so aggressive in trading prospects to get him and Biagini from Toronto, I think certainly lengthens the back end of their bullpen. And it's not just the rotation upgrade with Branke, but it's really the fact that they compete on a bullpen level with the Yankees now as well and have a equivalent or better lineup too. So I think top to bottom, the Astros are just clearly the best team in baseball at this point. And Sanchez in the playoffs, I think somebody who really could potentially stand out. And Sean Zerillo of the Action Network is joining me right here on the podcast. Thank you for bringing up Aaron Sanchez, by the way, because you alluded to it. This man is going to be facing off against the Seattle Mariners on Saturday. It is going to be he going on the bump as the Astros are at home on this game. And he's going up against a guy in Marco Gonzalez. has actually been pretty solid for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, that just absolutely atrocious start against the L.A. Angels, in which I remember he gave up like 10 runs. That was just absolutely awful. But all in all, he's actually been the one piece that, for the Seattle Mariners in their rotation that they've been able to rely upon. And right now I'm seeing the Seattle Mariners right around a plus 180. We know that Aaron Sanchez is probably going to be able to pitch a little bit better than he did in Toronto. But this is still a guy that for the year has an ERA above six. If you've been betting on him in every one of his starts for $100, well, you've probably lost right around $1,000 on Aaron Sanchez so far this year. What do you make out of this one? Because I do think that this might be a nice chance to be able to take a shot on the Seattle Mariners just because I know that Aaron Sanchez has looked better recently, but at the same time, he certainly has had his woes this year. Yeah, and it, I always think about this too with guys moving to different teams and pitching on different mounds. Like literally pitching on a different mound is a different experience for these guys. There's a reason that home road splits exist is because there's a comfort level in different park and the feel for the mound. So I'm, you know, I'm curious how Sanchez does overall, but I certainly see value on the Mariners for tomorrow. But the reason why I'd caution against it is that the Astros are the best team at hitting left-handed pitching since 2002. If you look on fan graphs, the two teams behind them are the 02 Dodgers and the 03 Giants, which are two steroid era teams. The Astros have a 135 WRC plus, which is multiple points above them and well clear of the rest of the pack. So the the Astros, as you would expect with that lineup that has Bregman and Altuve and Yuli Gurriel and Springer, they have a ton of right-handed power and they absolutely kill left-handed pitchers. So 
Marco Gonzalez is a guy I've enjoyed backing this year, especially in the first five inning money line. I'm not sure what his overall record is on the F5 money line, but I've certainly had success when I've backed him uh, and avoided the Mariners' bullpen. I don't know if I'll be doing it just because the Astros hit lefties so well. It's just such an outlier thing with them. But yeah, I mean, if you're forced to pick a side, I think the Mariners certainly are. To your point, this total has already climbed from 10 to 10 and a half. So clearly they're thinking that runs are going to be a plenty in this game as I think that with what you just brought up about the way that the Houston Astros hit lefties and Aaron Sanchez, let's face it, having an ERA north of six, that lends itself to quite a few runs. And it's going to be interesting to see how many runs there's going to be out there in Pittsburgh as the Pirates have won the top overrates out there in baseball in regards to their home games. And they've got a man that's been giving it up quite a bit this year. Chris Archer is going to be on the mound for the Pittsburgh Pirates. In every one of his July starts, he gave up at least three earned runs. This was the prize acquisition back in the 2018 trade deadline. Hasn't necessarily gone as planned. Meanwhile, one of the prize acquisitions of this year's trade deadline, Marcus Stroman, He's been a tough luck loser, 6-11 record, but his ERA is south of three. I believe that among starting pitchers that qualify in regards to innings, he has the third lowest home run rate. And right now we're seeing the New York Mets add, from what I'm seeing at the Westgate, a minus-133 favorite. This is just a spot where I've got to be taking a look at the Mets because going into Friday, Pittsburgh Pirates, 3-16 and since the All-Star break, and Chris Archer... In his start so far this year, I do believe that the Pittsburgh Pirates are 7-12. and 12. Yeah, Archer's a guy I've tried to fade this year. Me too. Uh, his, I believe his velocity is a, a little bit down. The hard contact's up. Everything's going in the wrong direction. That trade was a heist from Tampa Bay's perspective, getting both Meadows and Glasnow for him. Tampa Bay really did so well at last year's trade in deadline, and I think it's important to note that they were one of the more active teams again this deadline, so... I think they're a better team than Boston, and I'm fully expecting them to capture one of the AL wild card spots. I think Tampa's legit. But all that said, I'm worried about the Mets defense behind Stroman. Ahmed Rosario just has so many defensive tools, and you would expect him to be a good defender. I believe he rates as the worst defender in baseball this year, just because he gets so many opportunities and flubs a lot of them. The Mets have the worst defense in baseball. There's no getting around that. Uh, a lot of that's in the outfield, you know, with their lack of a center fielder and playing J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith in corners, but they're also very poor defensively at the infield as well. And for Stroman, who's got a 59% career ground ball rate, it just spells disaster. He's consistent, and he's somebody who you know what you're getting out of him every single time. I just don't know if I want to back him with his profile on the Mets. The Mets have had success with these high strikeout pitchers like DeGrom and Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler, and that's not who Stroman is. He's a guy who's going to give you about seven strikeouts per nine instead of, you know, nine and a half or ten. So it's an interesting fit with him on the Mets going into next season. Certainly having a guaranteed rotation with him and DeGrom and Syndergaard is wonderful. But they're really going to need to patch up their defense around him if you want to maximize his potential. Sean's real of the Action Network joining me right here on the podcast. And I do think that we have another interesting situation going down in the state of Texas as Adrian Sampson is going to be taking the bump for the Rangers. Going to be going up against Matthew Boyd of the Detroit Tigers. Boyd's last two starts have been very good, but I believe in either his first seven or eight starts in the months of June and July, he gave up at least three earned runs in every one of them. Adrian Sampson, meanwhile, I think that you'd agree, one of the most extreme home-to-road splits out there in the big leagues. On the road, this guy's been absolutely atrocious. In Texas, he's actually been pretty good. I remember he cashed a big plus-money ticket earlier this year when he was facing off against Garrett Cole. And right now, we're seeing the Rangers as about a minus-110 favorite. That's a Rangers team that has been one of the best home teams out there in the big leagues in regards to profitability. This is one in which 
I know that Matthew Boyd has been pitching a little bit better, but I've got to be taking a look at the Texas Rangers here just with the Detroit Tigers going into Friday, I believe 7-31 and in their last 38 games. This team has been historically bad. Yeah, they went 10-40 and between June and July. Um, that, I, I don't know what the worst two-month stretch is, but that has to be up there. The Tigers aren't a team that I can back on the full game money line. I've tried to get away with Boyd on the F5 money line a few times, and it's either push or one, I believe. I, I might have lost one of them. So I, I've picked my spots well with him. I think he's legitimately an ace. I'm not worried about the hiccup that he had last month. His strikeout rate is ridiculous. It, it really just comes down to the Tigers being such a poor defensive team and him unable to get run support, which has led to a 6-8 and eight record. But if I'm going to play them, I'm going to look to do it on the F5 money line again here. The one thing I did actually like was the total. I took a little look at the over. I haven't played it yet. I projected this game for about 12 runs. I think it's really interesting with Texas the past few days. And I noticed this with Lynn pitching, the total was set at 10 and the wind is blowing in. And we have this system on Sports Insights and Bet Labs that, you know, triggers when wind is blowing in at certain parks. And Globe Life Park in Arlington is actually the best park for betting unders when the wind is blowing in between 5 and 23 miles an hour. And the total, you know, was set low for Friday. And I feel like it's set low again for Saturday with the expectation that the wind's going to be blowing in. The Rangers also don't hit lefties well, so that they have that deck going against them with regards to Boyd. But I think this total is just really low. You know, I'm going to I'm going to see how the weather adjusts and if it flips at all, if it even looks like there's a possibility that, you know, we might get neutral weather. I think this is a clear overplay. And to your point, I believe that the Texas Rangers have the second most batting average against lefties so far this year, as we do have Sean Zabrillo right here on the podcast. So very good poll there. And we've noticed that the total, speaking of which, have been just absolutely harebrained at Coors Field this year. Whenever you see like two bad pitchers and a total of 14, winds up being like a two to one game. Whenever you see like a bunch of aces, you get someone like a Walker Beeler or something like that. Game is going to turn into like a 15 to 10 shootout. It looks like a football score. And in this one, we've got Madison Bumgarner going for the Giants. John Gray of the Colorado Rockies. Two guys that have been very solid this year. Total of 12 with the Giants. A small underdog. I'm right now seeing them right around plus 110. This is one in which I do think that the total is set a little bit too high. And I think the biggest reason for that is because the San Francisco Giants, a team that was white out with their bats in late June into July. They've really cooled down and the Colorado Rockies have been getting some good pitching out of John Gray as well. Yeah, I kind of stopped playing totals, of course, this year. I don't blame uh, you. Especially unders. <laughs> there was some system with regards to unders at Coors Field and but it gone from profitable to the margin this year, losing by an average of like 1.7 runs. So, so extreme with regards to the, the flip in the environment that it just became something that I didn't even bother trying to figure out. I certainly, you know, I project every game and put my number on every game every day. But with regards to me playing it, I just didn't want to deal with the headaches. So I really like how John Gray's been throwing this year. Obviously, Bumgarner, I'm sure, is full of confidence and motivation now that he's stayed around in San Francisco. I bet him in his last start before he got traded, expecting him to win, and he did. He's just one of those guys that I don't mind trusting my gut with, honestly. You know, I certainly put a lot of math, and I'm very numbers-based, but I'm never strictly by the numbers. And I think Bumgarner's just one of those guys that, you know, I trust my gut with. And, you know, I see a little bit of line value on them tomorrow, and... I don't know. We're coming down the stretch here. Mum Garner's and this Giants team are as hot as ever. Uh, I think you just ride it. I am right there with you. I do like betting on Madison Bumgarner. He's been very profitable recently. And is there anything else that's really standing out to you on Saturday's card? We do have a doubleheader between Boston and New York. And 
we have absolutely no earthly idea who's going to be pitching in these two games as we do this podcast. So that always makes things a lot of fun. You do have a couple interesting games, though, like the Rays versus Miami Marlins in the Battle of Florida. Phillies are going to be playing OC, Chicago White Sox. list goes on and on. Any good spots that you're really seeing? Yeah, so just, you know, a note on the doubleheader. Typically the best way we found at the Action Network to play doubleheaders is if you have a road favorite that wins game one and they're favored again in game two, you just go with them. It's playing the chalk in the second game of the doubleheader, whereas most people would think that you flip to the other team, but it's not really his exact thing. It's more so just playing the chalk after they won game one. I don't expect that we'll have that tomorrow. I think German is going to be going in game one for the Yankees, and he might be going against Brian Johnson. So the Yankees will probably be a favorite in game one, so that might not apply. But double headers are just kind of a unique thing, and I try to isolate them and predict it you know, in a vacuum that particular game. But just note that whatever pitchers get used in game one will always affect the odds for game two. In terms of looking at the rest of the board, though, I had initially projected some value on the Diamondbacks with Young starting, but he ended up going on Friday. So I'm going to be watching to see who they announce as the starter for Saturday because I've really liked playing Arizona as a home dog. I'm not sure. As of yesterday, they had the second best run differential in the National League behind the Dodgers. They were ahead of the Nationals and the Braves. So Arizona is a really good team. I've harped on this all year, but I played the over on their win total because good defensive teams consistently go over their win totals. They're the best defensive team in baseball. They were the best defensive team in baseball last year. And at some point, people are going to realize how much of an impact that has on, you know, not only their individual game odds, but also their season-long win total. They seem to be outperforming expectations, but I think it's really just because they catch a lot of balls and they make a lot of plays that their other teams don't make, which just makes them really undervalued. I think that that's a very good point that you bring up. And Sean, I would like to close it up with this. I know that you're a man that wears very many hats. You do work with a whole bunch of baseball publications. You're a practicing lawyer. You go through all the analytics of baseball. You have your numbers on every single game. Let the good people know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere since you're doing some tremendous work. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that, Greg. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Sean Zerillo, S-E-A-N for Sean. A lot of ways to spell that, not C-H-O-N-E like Sean Figgins. Last name Zerillo, Z is in Zebra, E-R-I-L-L-O. Download the Action Network app. It's free to download. You can get all my picks on there for free. I'm putting out articles every day that I have a free spreadsheet that you can download. Well, if you're a subscriber to the Action Network, it has a spreadsheet that you can download that puts out my fair odds for all the games and projected totals for all the games. and also project a lot of tennis starting next week should have coverage of the rogers cup and then atp cincinnati heading into the u.s open which is about a month away terrific all that is going to be very very useful i'm not one of those people i bet tennis personally but i'm sure that you're able to find some very good angles on that i'm always one of those people i don't bet what i don't know sean's real he knows his stuff in tennis he knows his stuff in baseball and he just knows his stuff in general so a big thanks to him for joining me right here on mlb overtime betting and coming up next it is that time that i give you a side in total on every game on today's las vegas betting board and a little something i like to call touch them all hey i'm steve heitner the guy who uttered the famous phrase that's gold And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. 
Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. We're back here in the Union Field Studios for MLB Overtime betting. Big thanks to Sean Sbrill of the Action Network for joining me in the last segment. As it is now that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed, at unitarnsquarty1. With some of these plays, they are all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. Some of these plays, we are in wait and see mode. We're waiting on some line changes. There are quite a few games that are off the board since we have undetermined pitchers and everything like that. And in these cases, I will be keeping you guys abreast of that with everything. And all the numbers I get locked in are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed as well, at JuniorScoreD1. As per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And do note that we're going to have a doubleheader along the way. So be prepared for that. Buckle up for safety as we go for 901-902 to start things off on the Vegas rotation order. It is the Chicago Cubs playing also the Milwaukee Brewers. Gio Gonzalez goes for the Brewers. Cole Hamels goes for the Chicago Cubs. This total is off the board since it is a regularly field game. Meanwhile, if you like the Cubs, laying anywhere between minus 131 and minus 133, plus price on the Brewers, between plus 121 and plus 123. And this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the Chicago Cubs. We were going through it with Sean's Zerill of the Action Network a little bit earlier. Cole Amels has been pretty good so far this year, and so have the Chicago Cubs at home. 37 and 18 at home so far this year. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a bullpen that has been badly taxed. I know that they were able to get in some reinforcements. We saw Drew Pomerantz in the game yesterday, but you take a look at Goal Hamels before going on the injured list. This is a guy that really had been not letting up hard contact at all. He had one start the entire year in which he had given up more than 300 runs. Guy was absolutely magnificent, giving up less than a home run per nine innings. Very good at Wrigley Field. Meanwhile, I will say this for Gio Gonzalez. He's also been doing a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. He recently came off the injured list. This is a guy that's giving up right around .7 home runs per nine innings. 2-1 record, 348 ERA. Your one concern with Gio Gonzalez is length. This is a guy that has went past the sixth inning in just one start so far this year, and that might lend itself to a Brewers bullpen that has been badly taxed, having to go out there and having to give a lot of innings. And with the Chicago Cubs, this was a team that they didn't cash over yesterday because they left 13 men on base, but they do have a lot of guys that are able to match, and you got to think that they're going to be out there looking to be able to get some big runs on the board early. You do have Jason Hayward, who's right now batting leadoff for this team and doing a good job. He and Nick Cassianos both in between a 273 and a 277. You got the guys in the middle lineup that are doing a good job. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Kyle Schwarber are all guys that have at least 20 home runs. In the case of Bryant and Rizzo, 21. They're both hitting between a 280 and a 290. Javi Baez is hitting a 287. He had his 26th dinger of the year yesterday. Kyle Schwarber is only hitting a 224, but 24 home runs. That'll make up for it. Wilson Contreras has 19 home runs. He's hitting a 275 whenever you've got out there. Victor Carantini at the catcher spot as well. He's been doing good. David Bodie and Albert Amora Jr. Both in between a 240 and a 250 as well. Ian App is off the injured list as well. He hasn't been delivering a whole lot, but you know who has been delivering a whole lot? The Milwaukee Brewers big man, Christian Yelich. This is a guy that has a 328 batting average. In regards to RBI, he's got 81 of them, 36 home runs, tons of stolen bases. He has been absolutely terrific. Yasmani Grandal and Lorenzo Cain are both hitting between a 245 and a 255. In the case of Grandal, he's got 19 home runs so far this year. Gotta like what you're seeing out of Brian Braun. He's got 17 home runs. He's hitting a 275. 
Mike Boustakis has been on a little bit of a rut with regards to his power, but he's hitting for 26 home runs, 263 batting hour of Jared Kessenhira. It's been absolutely magnificent. He's getting a home run every, I would say, 14 to 15 at bats, 316 batting average there. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up. Orlando Arcia, Manny Pina, and Travis Shaw, all guys hitting below a 230, but then you've got Eric Thames hitting right around a 250 along with Ben Gamble, so they're nice pieces to have as well, but in this spot, I do think that Gio is just not going to be able to give a lot of length. I think that Cole Hamels might be a little bit restricted as well, but the Chicago Cubs actually have a top 10 bullpen in regards to ERA out there in the big league so far this year, and I do think that they're going to be able to hold it down and give the Cubs another home win. So in this spot, looking at the Chicago Cubs on the money line, currently in Wayne Zemo there, would like to see if I'm able to lay a little bit less juice. And then with regards to this total, if the wind is blowing out and you're getting some airbrain total, I'm certainly going to be looking at it under because both these guys have been doing a very good job of being able to get soft contact. So I actually think wind blowing out might lend itself a little bit better to an under. If this wind is blowing way in and you get something like a 7, then I might be looking at it over, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORD1 for that. 903-904 on the betting rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing host to the New York Mets. Marcus Stroman makes his Mets debut. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Chris Archer goes for the Buccos. The total on this game is 9. Over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Mets, anywhere between minus 130 and minus 133, your plus price with the Pirates is anywhere between plus 120 and plus 123. Anyone want a shot with Chris Archer at this point? I certainly don't. Guy's given up 2.3 home runs per nine innings. You take a look at all five of his starts in the month of July. He gave up three runs or more in all of them. The Pirates have lost each of their last four starts with Chris Archer on the mound. They are now 3-17 and 17 since the All-Star break. I know that Sean's role did bring up a little bit earlier about Marcus Stroman not necessarily being a swing and miss guy, but you know what? Pittsburgh Pirates are just not doing much well in general. And with the New York Mets, ever since the All-Star break, second best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. And you gotta like that Marcus Stroman keeps the ball in the yard. Third lowest home run rate among qualified starters with the innings, and he's just been doing a very good job of being able to keep things out in front of him. Ever since May 6th, he has given up more than three earned runs in one start. That is a 13-start streak, and he's backed up by a very good lineup. With the New York Mets, you've got to love what Pete Alonso's been able to do. Batting average is not necessarily overly high. He's hitting right around at 260, give or take a little bit, but the home run count certainly is there. He has went deep 34 times, 77 RBI. Robinson Cano has been getting into it with regards to the power. He's got four home runs over the last 10 or so days. He's hitting right around at 240. Wilson Ramos, Michael Conforto, both guys are in between a 255 and a 260. And then you got to like the power that Michael Conforto is able to bring to the table as well. He's got 21 home runs so far this year. Jeff McDeal really does a great job of being able to set the table for the team. 333 batting average on base just below a 400. J.D. Davis also coming alive for this team. He's hitting nearly a 300. Todd Frazier is hitting right around a 245. And amid though he's been a mess out there in the field, he's hitting a 275. Meanwhile, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you do have a lot of guys that are doing a great job of being able to get on base. Starling Marte, Jose Ozuna, Josh Bell, Adam Frazier, all these guys hitting between a 275 and a 292. And in the case of Josh Bell, he was able to supply a lot of power before the All-Star break with 27 home runs, 88 RBI. He just has been in a funk. I don't think he's had a home run ever since a home run derby. He's having a little bit of a rut there. You also have Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds at the top lineup. Both these guys hitting between a 310 and a 325. 
Melky Cabrera, also a little bit above a 300. And then you got to like the fact that Elias Diaz and Jacob Sellings have been providing a lot of the catcher spot as well. But this team just has been really cold with their bats ever since coming off the All-Star break. You're not getting too many quality starts. And with Chris Archer, I just went through how bad he is. Marcus Stroman, I think, is a clear pitching mismatch. With the Pittsburgh Pirates, they do have a couple decent bullpen arms, but due to that brawl, they're now a little bit shorter in that regard as well. And I do think that the Mets are going to hit them and they're going to hit them hard. So for that reason, I've already locked in the Mets money line as play. Currently waiting C mode on this over. Right now trying to see if I'm able to get that minus 110 juice on over 9, but certainly going to be playing it either way. 905-906 on the bag rotation. The Atlanta Braves play also the Cincinnati Reds. Trevor Bauer makes his Reds debut. Meanwhile, Dallas Keiko goes for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over juice anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Reds, going to get a plus price between plus 115 and plus 117. Want to lay with the Braves anywhere between minus 125 and minus 127. Trevor Bauer is just a guy that's been all over the place. In four out of his last 10 starts, he's given up at least five earned runs. Meanwhile, in the other ones, he has been absolutely he's been absolutely magnificent, giving up on average less than a run per game in those outlier starts. So this is a guy that is all or nothing. And with the Cincinnati Reds, you have to be concerned that over the last 30 days, they have the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. The Atlanta Braves, they certainly have been letting up a couple leads, but I do think that Dallas Keuchel is going to be able to find himself in this one. Dallas Keuchel, in two out of his last three starts, has given up four earned runs, but in all of his other starts with the... Atlanta Braves in the month of July, he gave up two earned runs or fewer. He started out a little bit rocky in his first two starts on the road, giving up three runs apiece in which he did not go past six innings. But with the Atlanta Braves, they also back him up with a much better lineup, and that is all headlined by Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is a guy that's hitting just a shade over 300, 26 home runs, over 75 RBI for him. Ronald Acuna Jr. has 25 home runs himself. He's hitting at 290, tons of stolen bases for him. Josh Donaldson has also went deep 25 times, 255 batting average. You got like that Adam Duvall, since he's been recalled from AAA. Hitting above 400 guys been absolutely magnificent there. You do have a couple guys that you need to pick it up with their batting average. Ender Enciarte, Yohan Camargo, Austin Riley, Trey Flowers, all these guys hitting between a 225 and a 240. But with Austin Riley, he's belted out 16 home runs. He's been in a little bit more of a platoon role recently, though. Ozzy Albee's doing a good job of getting on base as well. 290 batting average. He's got some pop in the lineup. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team in a little bit of transition because they did sell off a couple pieces at the trade deadline with trading away Yasiel Puig, but you still have Eugenio Suarez, Jesse Winker, and Joey Votto. All these guys in between a 255 and a 270. And in the case of Mr. Suarez, he has went deep 29 times so far this year. You've got to like the fact that Josh Van Meter and Philip Irvin, whenever they get opportunities out there in the field, they have been hitting above a 300. Dick Senzel sitting above a 280. You are also seeing Jose Iglesias hitting right around that 280 mark as well. You do need to pick it up with Kyle Farmer and Jose Peraza. Both these guys hitting between a 235 and a 240, but the Cincinnati Reds do have a little bit of upside there. I will say that they are the best team with regards to the under out there in the big league so far this year, but the Atlanta Braves also have scored the most runs of any team out there in the major leagues since the beginning of the month of June, and I think that their offensive role is going to continue. So for that reason, looking at playing the Braves and the over in this spot, the total opened up at 9, so I would like to see if I'm able to get an unjuice 8.5. That would be terrific. And I'm noticing a lot of money coming in on the Cincinnati Reds, so holding off there. 907-908 on the bank rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be playing also the Washington Nationals. Right now on the betting board, it is reading Alex Young that is going to be going for the Arizona Diamondbacks, considering Robbie Ray got scratched on Friday and Alex Young wound up starting yesterday. 
I don't think that he's going to be playing in this one. Meanwhile, it is Steven Strasburg going for the Washington Nationals. I can tell you right now, with the matchup of Strasburg versus Alex Young, you're looking at the Nationals being between minus 150 and minus 153. Plus price on the D-backs anywhere between plus 140 and plus 143. Draw in this game is 8. The over is minus 120. The under is even. Got to think that those numbers are going to move around a little bit. So if you're having a ticket and it says Alex Young on it, just throw it in the toilet because Robbie Ray is going to be starting in this one. And the breakdown for Robbie Ray is the same as it was yesterday. This is a guy that does a good job of being able to limit a lot of contact in general, but he does give up hard contact. This is a gentleman that is giving up right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings, and he puts men on base. 4.5 walks per nine innings. He does get a lot of strikeouts. He's getting over 12 strikeouts per nine innings, but I just don't have a lot of faith in him. Meanwhile, Steven Strasburg, this guy was absolutely magnificent in the month of July. You take a look across his starts, he gave up four runs in five starts, and he went at least six innings in all but one of them. This is a guy that's really figured that out. In June, it was a little bit of a bumpy ride. He gave up three earned runs or more in all but one of his starts, but he is now backed up by a little bit of a better bullpen. Meanwhile, with the airs and the Diamondbacks, you really can't have faith in guys like Yohan Lopez, Greg Holland and company. They just have been a little bit of a hot mess. And for the Washington Nationals, you do have some guys that are doing a great job with the bat, including Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto, two guys that have an on-base percentage right around 400. Anthony Rendon, 23 home runs, 80 RBI. Juan Soto, 20 home runs, 70 RBI. Guy like the fact that Howie Kendrick is hitting a 315 for this team. Adam Eaton and Trey Turner at the top lineup both have good wheels, hitting between 280 and 285. Both those guys are. Brian Doe along with Victor Robles and Matt Adams are a trio of guys sitting between a 235 and a 245. Jan Gomes has been letting the team down. He's only hitting a 215, but all in all, you do have a very good lineup for this Washington national team. Meanwhile, if the years on the Diamondbacks, it's intriguing because they're among the top eight teams in the big leagues with regards to home runs per game on the road at home. Bottom six team with regards to home runs per game, but you do have two very good mashers in Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte. They've got to combine 45 home runs between the two of them. Escobar, a 280 batting average. Cattell Marte, more in the neighborhood of a 315. Got quite a few guys hitting between a 250 and a 265. You've got Tim LaCastro, Gerard Dyson, Nick Ahmad and Christian Walker all in that neighborhood and with the case of Christian Walker he's got 20 home runs so far this year David Peralta's back in the fold he's hitting nearly a 285 Carson Kelly's been doing a great job at the catcher spot as well 270 batting average and then you also do have to like the fact that Alex Vila even though he's hitting a 220 at the catcher spot his batting average right around a his on base percentage right around a 370 and Adam Jones hitting a 270 himself Jake Lamb has come off the injured list hasn't necessarily been sharp but it does seem like the wheels are starting to churn for him this is a game in which if I were better right now, my bet would just become a refund. I do think that with it being Robbie Ray instead of Alex Young, you're actually going to get the Nationals at a better price. So I'm going to be looking at that on the run line. If you're seeing a total on this game of eight, going to be looking at it over. If you're seeing a total right around what we're seeing right now, eight and a half with the over at minus 120, going to be looking at an under. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Gianni one for set plays there. 909, 910 on the bag rotation. It is the San Francisco Giants, and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. John Gray goes for the Rockies. Madison Bumgarner for the San Francisco Giants. Total on this game is 12. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Meanwhile, the overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Giants, you're going to be getting a plus price between plus 111 and plus 115. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with Rockies, anywhere between minus 121 and minus 125. And this is a spot where I do have to just trust a mad bum. We were going through it with Sean's Zarrillo. This is a guy that is just absolutely tremendous this year. Meanwhile, John Gray, I will say, 
he has been churning out some gems as well. This is a gentleman that, despite pitching at Coors Field at home, 10-7 record, 388 ERA. He's done a good job of being able to get swings and misses. And you take a look at the month of July, he had just one start in which he gave up more than three earned runs. As a, and as a matter of fact, he's had just one start since June 13th in which he's given up more than three earned runs. So that's obviously a redeeming quality. Meanwhile, Madison Baumgartner, Obviously, his home field is not Coors, but he has pitched there so many times that he knows exactly what to do. This is a gentleman that has given up more than three earned runs in just two starts ever since May 18th. He has been giving up quite a few long balls, at least he did at the beginning of the year. Ever since, I would say, the middle of May, he's been giving up less than one home run per nine innings, though, so he's done a very good job of being able to limit the contact there. And I will say for the San Francisco Giants, this offense was white hot towards the end of the month of June and into July, but they have really cooled down a little bit more. You do take a look at a lot of the bats. Got a bunch of guys that are in below 250 for this team. Brandon Crawford, Steven Duger is now back in full. Brandon Belt, these guys are hitting between a 230 and a 240. You do have to like the fact that Buster Posey is hitting a 260 along with Pablo Sandoval. And Sandoval actually leads the team with 14 home runs. Mikey Stromsky is hitting a 280. Guys like Austin Slater have been able to give this team a nice boost, but this is not an offense that's really shelling out a lot. Meanwhile, the Colorado Rockies got three of guys at the top of the line that are hitting above a 300. David Dahl, Nolan Arenado, and Charlie Blackman. In the case of Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado, all these guys have between 21 and 22 home runs. They are very good mashers. We know that with the Colorado Rockies, they do have the most runs per game of any offense at home. They also have the worst ERA at home of any team this year, but they do have a lot of guys that are doing a solid job of getting on base at the bottom of the lineup as well. Ryan McMahon, Remiel Tapia, Tony Walters, all these guys hitting between a 265 and a 278. Daniel Murphy has been doing a great job of getting on base, 290 batting average there. Ian Desmond hitting right around a 270 himself. He's got some good power, but I do think that with these starters going in this one, it is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. And we have noticed, we saw it in the Dodgers series, that the unders might be returning to Coors a little bit more. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Giants with the plus price and the total under. Noticing that the number on this total keeps sticking up, opened up at 11.5, so I'm going to keep waiting to see how high it climbs. And a little bit of money is coming in on the Colorado Rockies, so I'm waiting to see mode there as well. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. It is the San Diego Padres and they are on the road facing off against the LA Dodgers. It is going to be Walker Buehler going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, it is going to be Cal Quantrill for the San Diego Padres, but with that said, he was not announced as the starter until the evening, so for that reason, this game is off the board, and I will say, Cal Quantrill has actually been doing a very good job with the San Diego Padres. You take a look at his last three appearances against the Atlanta Braves, Chicago Cubs, and San Francisco Giants. He went at least five innings in all of them, gave up a combined one run across 17 innings. He is doing absolutely magnificent work there. He's had an opener go for him a couple times, so you do want to note that. And you do take a look at Walker Beeler. He has been amazing in his own right. 9-2 record, 338 ERA. He has had a couple starts in which he's had some makeups. Most of these have come on the road, though. Against Washington Nationals in his last start, winds up giving up four runs in five and a third innings. Didn't look sharp at Coors Field, but then again, that is Coors Field as well. And even in his last start before the All-Star break, he did give up three runs at home against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we know it's the Dodgers. They don't back him up with a good bullpen. With the San Diego Padres, though, their bullpen has been a hot mess. Other than Kirby Yates, you can't rely on anyone. Guys like Trey Wingenter, Matt Stram and company, they're not really doing the job. And with the LA Dodgers, Dodgers. Gotta like the fact that you've got Cody Bellinger out there in the middle of the lineup. Cody Bellinger for the year, hitting just above a 330, 35 home runs, 83 RBI going into Friday's action. Max Muncy is supplying the boom as well. 260 batting average, 26 home runs for him. They recently acquired a couple pieces that have been very useful for them. Christopher Nagarin and Tyler White have already made contributions for this team. Alex Verdugo and 
Josh Turner, our two guys are in between a 284 and a 295. Corey Seager hitting right, or t- right around a 275 himself. Will Smith at the catcher spot has been a massive upgrade because you notice that Austin Barnes and Russell Martin were not getting the job done. Will Smith, meanwhile, in very limited at-bats, 43 of them going into Friday. Six home runs, including a grand slam a couple nights ago. That was absolutely huge for the team. Meanwhile, with the San Diego Padres, this is a team that no longer has Famio Reyes in the lineup, but they do have Hunter Renfro, who's got 30 home runs, only a 237 batting average, though, and he's got a lot of guys that are struggling with their batting average. All these guys are hitting a 235 or lower. Josh Naylor, Francisco Mejia, Austin Hedges, Luis Arias, and Ian Kinsler all in that neighborhood, so they need a little bit of something there. And Will Myers himself hitting a 222. He's been a hot mess this year. Fernando Tatis Jr., though, he has been very good at the top of the lineup. 19 home runs for him. He's hitting above a 325. He's also got 14 stolen bases. Manny Machado's picked up his play as well. He's hitting above a 275. 26 home runs for him. Eric Cosmer hitting a little bit over, over a 280-69 RBI there. So I do like what they are providing in the middle of the lineup. This is a spot where if I'm seeing a total of like 7.5 or 8, might be leaning towards an over. If the Padres are just getting a massive plus price, I'll also be looking at them as well. I know that the Dodgers have been very good at home so far this year. 41-14 and 14 going into Friday, but three of those losses have come against the San Diego Padres. And I do like for the Padres the fact that Cal Quantrill has looked so good in his recent starts. But as always, we need a line on this game to bet on it. So check back in the morning at Junior Squirty One for set plays there. Now we now move on to a doubleheader. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang rotation and 9-17, 9-18 on the bang rotation. Game one of the doubleheader is going to have 9-13, 9-14 with the betting rotation numbers. This is set for a first pitch at 1.05 p.m. Eastern, 10.05 a.m. Pacific time. Currently, the New York Yankees are going to be trotting out there. Herman Marquez, and it looks like he's going to be going up against Chris Sale. Chris Sale was not announced as the starter for this game until later on in the day. 9.17, 9.18 on the betting rotation is going to be game two. That is slated for a 7.05 p.m. Eastern first pitch, 4.05 p.m. Pacific. New York Yankees have yet to determine the starter. This could be a spot where they have Chad Green open and they take the wholesale approach. Meanwhile, with Boston Red Sox, you are going to have a set starter in Brian Johnson. But with Brian Johnson, and I'm going to get into 9-17, first with Brian Johnson. He has pitched only a couple times at the major league level so far this year. He did wind up giving a five-inning start against the Toronto Blue Jays and did not give up a single earned run in that one. But in all of his other appearances, he has won three innings or fewer. So probably going to be a little bit of a wholesale approach there. I will say this. If the Yankees do wind up going with that wholesale approach with Chad Green, they're actually 8-0 when they've went with it. So. The Yankees have been doing a very good job there, and they've been very good at home in general this year. 39-18 and 18 at home, but the Boston Red Sox, one of the top road teams out there in the big leagues as well, entering into Friday, 32-22 and 22 themselves. And both these teams do have some very good mashers, though I will say with the New York Yankees, it is absolutely critical that they got back a pair of big pieces for their series against the Boston Red Sox. C.J. LeMayu and Brett Gardner were out of the fold for quite a while. D.J. LeMayu hitting above a 330. His RBI count is absolutely massive. He's got over 60 RBI, so him being back in the fold is huge. And Brett Gardner, though his batting average is actually 242, does a good job of being able to get on base. Very good fielder as well. That should certainly make an impact. And then you got Gio Urshel and Cameron Maben, who have been absolutely terrific for this team. They're both hitting above a 310, and they're hitting as high as a 325 in the case of Cameron Maben. So that's been nice. Glaber Torres wound up having a big grand slam yesterday. He's hitting a 290, 21 home runs, 60 RBI for him. Aaron Hicks is now back at the fold as well. He and Edwin Encarnacion need to pick it up with their batting average. They're both hitting right around a 235. But in the case of Encarnacion, 30 RBI for him. His on-base percentage is over 100 by 
points higher than his batting average. You also have Aaron Judge hitting a 280 for this bunch. And Austin Romine has been filling in nicely for Gary Sanchez. He's hitting a 265. Meanwhile, with the Boston Red Sox, you've got J.D. Martinez really starting to go off. 24 home runs. His batting average is just below 300. Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers both doing a great job with their batting average. Both these guys hitting between a 315 and a 325. In the case of Bogarts, he's got 25 home runs. Rafael Devers has been taking teams deep 21 times so far this year. Mookie Betts has 18 home runs. He's hitting just below a 290. Andrew Benatendi's hitting a 285. Gotta like that even... Sam Travis is hitting a 275. Christian Vasquez in that neighborhood as well. Jackie Bradley Jr. is hitting a 225. But past that, you've got two very formidable lineups. And then in the case of Domingo Herman versus Chris Sale, we all know about Chris Sale at this point. If you've laid $100 on every one of his starts so far this year, you're down over $1,000. He's been the least profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. And this is a guy that's getting taken deep quite a bit as well. Over 1.5 home runs given up per nine innings, I will say. Still a great swing and miss guy. He's getting over 12 strikeouts per nine innings, but... You take a look at what he did in the month of July, and even beyond that, going back to his last start in the month of June, so essentially over the course of his last six starts, he's given up five earned runs or more in four of them. I will say the other two were a gem, but his last start did come against the Yankees. That was at home. He gave up six runs in five and a third innings. There's just no trusting in this guy at this point. Domingo Herman, he's been very profitable for you, but I don't know how much of that is actually him. He's giving up right around 1.75 home runs per nine innings himself, so he has certainly been taken deep. But I will say this, 13-2 and two is 13-2. and two. It's something that you don't complain about. He's getting right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings himself. He has given up three earned runs or more, two out of his last three starts. But coming off the injury list, his first couple starts were very good. So there is a little bit of promise there. This is probably going to be a series in which I'm going to be looking at a lot of overs. I'm certainly going to be looking at Domingo Herman over Chris Sale, especially if the Yankees are an underdog. And in Game 2, if the Yankees do take that wholesale approach, probably going to be taking a look at the Yankees as well. But obviously, these plays are subject to change because we need to figure out who's all going to be playing in the doubleheaders and everything like that. So as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNRSCORD, you want for set plays there. So hopefully, I was able to keep that as straight as possible for you guys. 915-916 on the bank rotation. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be playing also the Toronto Blue Jays. Thomas Pannone goes for the Toronto Blue Jays. Dylan Bundy goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 10. Over is just of anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and even. If you like the Blue Jays, lane minus 120. Baltimore Orioles across the board plus 110. And Dylan Bundy is just a befuddling guy to bet on. There are just some starts where this guy looks absolutely terrific. And then there are other starts where he just gets banged around like a pinata. And that shows because he's given up over two home runs per nine innings. One of the highest home run rates out there in the big leagues. And you take a look at what he did in the month of July. It really reflects that. He had one start in which he went one inning, giving up seven runs against the Tampa Bay Rays. Another start in which he gave up four runs in five innings against the Angels. In his other two starts, he combined 12 and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs against the Diamondbacks and Blue Jays on the road, both of which were wins. You just really can't peg this guy, and he actually does pitch well against the Toronto Blue Jays. I will say he's done a solid job in that regard so far this year, but you just don't know whether you're going to get bad Dylan Bunny, whether you're going to get great Dylan Bunny, or if you're going to get Dylan Bunny. Meanwhile, with Thomas Pannone, he actually had a nice start in his last outing against Kansas City Royals. Wound up giving up two runs in six innings. This is a guy that, as a starter last year, was actually pretty solid and in the bullpen during the month of June. Did a very good job there as well. So, looks like this guy is turning a corner. When he got a start in May against the Texas Rangers, things did not go as planned, but the Toronto Blue 
Blue Jays certainly back him up with a much better bullpen than the Baltimore Orioles. I know that the Blue Jays did sell off Danny Hudson, one of their key bullpen pieces, but with the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team that really has gotten hot with their bats. They were on a streak of having scored five or more runs in 12 out of their last 15 games going into the All-Star break. They went, then went ice cold, but now they are on a streak in which they've won five out of their last six games, and they don't have a lot of guys that are doing a great job of being able to ride a good batting average. You've got Derek Fisher, Danny Jansen, Brandon Drury, Teoscar Hernandez, Kayvon Biggio, Justin Smoke. All these guys are hitting a 225 or lower. And I could actually go down the list because there's even more of them. But Freddie, get, get, but Freddie Galvis and Flagger Jr. are picking things up. Flagger Jr. has his batting average right around a 270. Freddie Galvis hitting more around a 265. Boba has come up to the big league level. He's hitting above a 300. And Lords Goriel has been just absolutely terrific for this team. He's hitting a 290. His home run count currently at an 18, and you got a lot of guys that have between 14 and 18 home runs for the Toronto Blue Jays. You have the aforementioned Galvis, Justin Smoke, Randall Gritchick, Rowdy Teles, Teoscar Hernandez. They're all doing a good job of being able to supply some power. Meanwhile, with the Baltimore Royals, you really have two guys that are supplying power. Trey Boom Boom Mancini and Renato Nunez. Nunez has 25 home runs, 250 batting average. Trey Mancini, his batting average right around at 280. He's got 25 dingers himself. Anthony Santander has been doing a good job of getting on base. He's hitting nearly 300. Jonathan VR, more in the realm of a 260. Hanser Alberto is hitting above a 300 as well. But then you've got a bunch of guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. Chan Sisko, C.V. Wilkerson, Jace Peterson, Chris Davis, Richie Martin. All these guys are hitting a 230 or lower. Rio Ruiz is still out of the full, but you do have Pedro Severino. He's been aiming at 275, but this is a spot where I just don't know what I'm going to get out of Dylan Bundy. Meanwhile, I feel like Thomas Pannone is going to be able to give a better start. I feel like the Toronto Blue Jays have the better bats in this spot, but I do think that Dylan Bundy is going to be able to keep the game in the yard at the very least, and I do think that Thomas Pannone does give a good start as well. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Toronto Blue Jays and the total under. I've already locked in the Toronto Blue Jays money line as a play, and I was already able to lock in this under as the opening line on this was actually 10.5 with regards to the number that was unshaded. Now we're seeing the number at 10 shaded to the over, so I figured I'd rather be safe than sorry, and I took the 10.5 and, and I locked that in for the under. 919-920 on the bank rotation. The Cleveland Indians are going to be playing also the LA Angels. Adam Plutko goes for the Cleveland Indians. As of right now, it is to be announced for the LA Angels, and for that reason, this game is presently off the board. It looks like it's going to be Felix Pena going for the LA Angels, and then they're just figuring out who the opener is supposed to be, and this is essentially what we were supposed to get yesterday, but Felix Pena, I will say it again, he has been just absolutely all over the boulevard. He wound up having four of his five appearances in the month of July be good ones. He gave up two earned runs or fewer in four out of the five. The other one he just got exploded upon, giving up eight runs and four two-thirds innings against the Houston Astros. Then you take a look at the month of June. He gave up at least two earned runs in all of those bulk appearances. And in most of those bulk appearances in which he gave up two runs, he went four innings or fewer, and he wound up giving up seven runs while recording just five outs against the Oakland A's. He wound up giving up four runs and six innings against the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a guy that just lends itself to getting giving up runs. And for the LA Angels, they've had one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, with the Cleveland Indians, they back up Adam Plutko with the best bullpen with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. Plutko himself has been a little bit inconsistent over his last four starts. He's given up five earned runs in two of them. In the other two, he wound up going 12 and a third innings, giving up a combined four runs, but those were both against the Kansas City Royals. So he has been a little bit up and down the boulevard. And with the Cleveland Indians, they have brought in reinforcements to go along with Francisco Lindor. And one Carlos Santana with Carlos Santana. This is a guy that's doing a little bit of everything. 280 batting average. 
He has went deep 23 times so far this year, and you've got to love what Francisco Lindor is doing. He's batting above a 300, 18 home runs for him. Oscar Mercado's been terrific. He can just blow a 300. Now you bring in their Yasiel Puig and Femio Reyes. These two guys have a combined 49 home runs between them, both hitting between a 250 and a 260. Jose Ramirez, Jason Kipnis, and Roberto Perez have been picking things up as well. These guys are hitting between a 238 and a 248. Jake Bowers is hitting right around a 240. Jordan Luplo is hitting a 265 when they need guys like Mike Freeman and Taylor Naquin and company. They've been doing a very good job of getting on base, and they were just able to put up a massive cricket number early on the LA Angels yesterday. And for the Angels, they do counter with a good lineup that is doing a good job of being able to get on base themselves. Mike Trout, Daniel Fletcher, Shohei Otani, all these guys hitting between a 290 and a 300, and we all know what Mike Trout's able to do. 36 home runs, 87 RBI. He went deep again yesterday, but Justin Upton in a big funk himself. He's hitting below a 220. Cole Calhoun and Albert Pujols are both hitting between a 235 and a 240. Cole Calhoun has went deep 24 times so far this year, Albert Poole 17, and Dalton Simonson is hitting a 275, and Brian Goodwin in that neighborhood as well. Luis Rangifo has seen a little bit of a dip in his average. He's hitting a 245, and the catcher spot for this team is in a little bit of flux, as I believe that they designated for assignment Jonathan Lucroy yesterday, so Max Stassi, a guy hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200, wound up getting the start yesterday, but you do still have Kevin Smith, and whenever he gets a start, he's been very decent for the team, but I just think that this is a spot where I'm going to be having to look at the Cleveland Indians, and if you're seeing a total anything below 10. Going to be taking it over. The Angels just don't have a lot to try it out there in regards to pitching. Adam Pluko himself, not necessarily a great starter, but you do have an Indians bullpen that has been a little bit taxed recently. I will say that has been doing a very good job, but I think that Pluko will give up some runs in the meantime. So going to be looking at this total over and going to be looking at the Indians, but no line currently on this game. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNR Squarty1 for that. 921-922 on the bank rotation. The Houston Astros are going to be playing also the Seattle Mariners. Marco Gonzalez goes for the Seattle Mariners. Aron Sanchez for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 10.5. Overs just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. Meanwhile, the unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you like the Mariners, anywhere between plus 180 and plus 190 is what you're getting. Want to lay with the Astros? Anywhere between minus $2 and minus 220 is the tax there. And it's just hard for me to back Aron Sanchez. I know that we were talking to our good buddy Sean Zarrillo of the Action Network about this earlier, and I am fully aware that the Astros are just banging the tar out of lefties right now, but man, Aron Sanchez has had the tar banged out of him all year long. This is a guy with an ERA above six. He had a streak in which he had 11 straight losing appearances. That is one of those things where it's just really hard to make up. He's given up so many home runs. His walk rate is over four per nine innings. Meanwhile, Marco Gonzalez, he's actually been decent so far this year. 12-8 record, 421 ERA. He actually has faced off against the Houston Astros, and it wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. He wound up going five innings, giving up three runs, and that was a road start. Other than his start against the Angels, in which he gave up 10 runs and four and two-thirds innings to begin June, this is a guy that's been pretty solid over the course of his last 10 starts. He's given up three earned runs or fewer in nine of them, so he has essentially been the lone guy that you could trust in the Seattle Mariners rotation. And with the Seattle Mariners, you do have a couple guys that are doing a very good job of being able to slug out some power. Daniel Vogelback doesn't necessarily have a great batting average. His batting average hovering right around a 234, but he's on base right around 100 points higher, 25 home runs for him. Domingo Santana slowed down with home runs, but he's still got 21 dingers, 67 RBI, and a 270 batting average. Got like the fact that J.P. Crawford still doing a solid job of getting on base. He and Thomas Murphy both hitting between a 255 and a 266. And with Murphy, he and Omar Navarez combined for the third most home runs at the catcher spot among duos out there in the big leagues as Navarez is hitting right around a 300. You do need to see a little bit of improvement with a couple of these guys with regards to their bats. Kyle Seeger, Keon Broxton, Mac Williamson, 
Dylan Moore, all guys hitting at 220 or lower. Tim Beckham has been a mess out there in the field, but he's got 15 home runs and is hitting right around a 245 himself. Austin Nola in very limited opportunities, hitting a 350 going into Friday. So that's been nice. And Malik Smith, one of the top base dealers out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, with the Houston Astros, who's not hitting for this team is a real question. Jordan Alvarez is getting a home run every 11 or so at bats. He's hitting a 330. Michael Brantley's hitting a 320. Jose Altuve and George Springer are both back, and they're both firing all cylinders. Altuve's hitting above 300. George Springer, 290 batting average, 25 home runs for him. Alex Bregman hitting a 265 with 27 home runs. Carlos Correa is back in the fold, along with Aledmiz Diaz. That's huge. Martin Maldonado not doing a lot at the catcher spot, and Jake Marizic only hitting a 245 out there at the center field spot, but this is still a very fearsome lineup, and Josh Reddick hitting a 275 himself, even though he's in a little bit of a cold streak. And with the Houston Astros, you do have a good bullpen, but the Seattle Mariners have actually been, even though they did sell off a couple bullpen pieces, doing a solid job themselves. So for that reason, I am actually going to be looking at the Seattle Mariners in this spot with a plus price. I think that both these starters are going to give up some runs. I think that the Houston Astros are still going to be able to get their four to five runs in this one, but I think that the Mariners get to own Sanchez, and I think that they're able to win a high-scoring game. So for that reason, going to be going with the over and the Mariners. Trying to see if this over gets a little bit less juice, so that way I could get a little bit like an even or perhaps a plus price. And with the Mariners, I don't think a whole lot of public money is going to be coming in on them. As a matter of fact, the money has already come in on the Houston Astros as I've been doing this podcast, so waiting to see how high that climbs up. 923-924 on the Bangor Tation. The Minnesota Twins play OC Kansas City Royals. Danny Duffy goes for the Royals. Kyle Gibson goes for the Twins. Your total on this game is 10. The over is just of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Royals, that is anywhere between a plus 195 and plus $2 price. Meanwhile, if you want to lay with the Twins, going to be laying anywhere between minus 220 and minus 230. Kyle Gibson, not a guy that's necessarily been too reliable. Meanwhile, a guy that's actually been very profitable recently and seems to be giving some of his best starts of the year is Danny Duffy. Danny Duffy, 5-5 five five record. He has been given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but we know that target field, even though you have all those matchers for the Twins, is a little bit more of a pitcher's park. And you take a look at what he's done in his last, I guess you could call it four true starts, because he had one against the Detroit Tigers in which he went two innings. That was just a little bit of a hot mess. But in his last four true starts, he's went six innings or more in all of them. He's given up a combined nine runs in them as well. He has looked very good as well. He was able to helped lead the team to a win over the Atlanta Braves on the road. He was able to get a win over the Cleveland Indians as well. This is a guy that's actually cashing some plus tickets for you. Meanwhile, with Kyle Gibson, this is a guy that's 10-4, but the numbers are a little bit deceiving as he's got a 4-10 ERA. Take a look at three of the last four starts. He's given up three runs or more in two of them, so he hasn't necessarily been doing the greatest job there. In the month of June, he wound up giving up four earned runs or more in three out of his starts. I will say that he has been pretty good against the Kansas City Royals. His last start against them, he wound up giving up no runs in eight innings, but I do like the fact that the Kansas City Royals do have a couple guys at the top of the lineup that do an exceptional job of getting on base, and that's all let off by Whit Merrifield. He has a 300 batting average, does a good job of sealing some bases. Then you've got Alex Gordon, Hunter Dozier, and Chester Cuthbert, all in between a 281 and a 290. Jorge Soler hit hitting a 245, 28 home runs for him. Bubba Starlin has been doing a solid job of getting on base as well. His batting average is a 275. But then you do have the guys that do need to pick it up. Cam Gallagher actually has. He's got a 235 batting average. But then you've got Billy Hamilton, Nicky Lopez, Ryan O'Hearn, Lucas Duda, 
Umberto Ortega and Chris Owings all hitting a 225 or lower. Meanwhile, with the Minnesota Twins, you really don't have any weak links for this team. The team's weakest link with regards to batting average is Miguel Sano at a 245, but he's getting a home run every 12 or so at bats. Eddie Rosario has a 280 batting average along with Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz has 26 home runs, Eddie Rosario 23 of them. Ray Polanco's hitting nearly a 300 with 16 home runs. Max Kepler hitting 265. He's went deep 30 times. You've got Mitch Carver hitting nearly a 300. He's got 19 home runs. Marlon Gonzalez, Jason Castro, Jonathan Scope, Byron Buxton. All these guys are hitting between a 250 and a 260. Luis Arreyes has an on-base percentage well above 400. He's hitting a 350 himself. You've got Ahir Adrianza back in the fold. He's hitting a 275. The list goes on and on, but I do like what I've seen out of Danny Duffy, and I think that Danny Duffy is just getting disrespected once again, and I think he's going to be able to turn a good start. Target field, a little bit more of a pitcher's ballpark, and I think that that's really going to help him out in this spot. So for that reason, we're going to be going with the Kansas City Royals and this total under. Currently in Wayne C mode with regards to this under, I'm seeing a little bit of steam coming in on the over, and let's face it, not a lot of public money likely going to be coming in on the Kansas City Royals. So I'm going to hold off to see what kind of a plus price I'm able to get there. We move on to 925-926 on the main rotation. The Detroit Tigers hit the road to face off against the Texas Rangers. Adrian Sampson goes for the Rangers. Matthew Boyd for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 9.5 and and I'm seeing a 10 out there as well. With the 10, the under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. On the 9, the over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Detroit Tigers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 105 and minus 109. With the Rangers, you're getting anywhere between minus 105 and minus 101. So we've actually had a flip of favorites in this one, and I just have a tough time trusting in Matthew Boyd. I know that in his last two starts, he's looked very good, but in, I believe, the eight or nine starts previous, every start ever since the beginning of the month of June, before his last two, he had given up three earned runs or more in every one of them. This is a guy that's giving up 1.7 home runs per nine innings. I know that the wind might be blowing in a little bit in Texas, but there's also going to be a whole lot of heat. There's going to be a whole lot of humidity. And this is a guy in Adrian Sampson that, well, he's lending himself to hard contact too. He's given up more than two home runs per nine innings himself, but he is a much better home pitcher than he is a road pitcher on the road. This guy has just been an absolute hot mess. And I will say his last home start wasn't much better. He recorded four outs. He gave up five runs against the Arizona Diamondbacks. But in his four home starts previous, he gave up three earned runs or fewer in every one of them. Heck, you even go back to the month of May. He gave up a combined two earned runs in two starts at home in the month of May. So this is a guy that is the textbook definition of having an extreme home to road split. And with the Texas Rangers, you do have quite a few guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. They are without Joey Gallery. Right now, but God love what Danny Santana is doing. 325 batting average, 16 home runs for him. Sin Chu Chu has been very solid as well. 18 home runs. He's hitting nearly a 280. Elvis Andrus is hitting a 280 himself. Hunter Benz is back at the fold. He and Willie Calhoun are both hitting between a 295 and a 300. Noah Mazar has been out of the lineup a little bit, but he supplied over 50 RBI. His batting average hovering right around a 260. Do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average as they do now have Isaiah Kinnear Felfa back at the fold as well. He was hitting a 231 before going on the injured list, so Dre's still out there, but Rudan Odor, Raul Guzman, Jeff Mathis, and Tim Vidorowitz are all guys hitting a 215 or lower, but I will say this about Rudan Odor. Power has certainly been there. 18 home runs, 62 RBI for him, and with the Texas Rangers, I know that they sold off a couple bullpen pieces, but all in all, they've been improved there, and the Detroit Tigers, I will give them credit. The bullpen has looked a little bit better, but 
Who out there for this team is going to be able to supply a whole lot of power? You've got Harold Castro hitting a 290 for this team. Miguel Cabrera, a 280. Right now, their best power hitter is Brandon Dixon, and he wound up getting the day off yesterday. Brandon Dixon, a guy that has been able to slug out 14 home runs. His batting average is right around a 256. And then with the Detroit Tigers, you've just got a whole bundle of guys that are not doing a good job of being able to get on base. Jacoby Jones is sitting at 232. He does have 10 home runs, which is nice. And then you've got Jason Rogers at the catcher spot in very, very limited at-bats. He's been doing a decent job, but Jody Mercer, Roddy Rodriguez, Grayson Griner, Gordon Beckham, the list goes on and on. Amir Candelario, these guys are all in at 225 or lower. You just can't trust in them. Christian Stewart has been out of the lineup recently as well. This is just a Detroit Tigers team that has lost 31 out of their last 38 games going into Friday as well. I just have no faith in them. This is a spot where I'm going to be taking the Texas Rangers and I'm going to be taking this total over with both these pitchers going. This is going to be a spot where I'm in Wayne Simo because I'm noticing a lot of money coming in on the under and I'm noticing a lot of money coming in on the Texas Rangers. So going to be holding out until I see the money come in otherwise. 927-928 on the bank rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays play host the Miami Marlins in the battle of the state of Florida. Eliza Hernandez goes for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, it is going to be Diego Castillo serving as the host, serving as the opener for the Tampa Bay Rays. And for that reason, this game is currently off the board. And with Castillo being the opener, the bulk guy is going to be Jalen Beeks. And I do like what I've seen out of Jalen Beeks so far this year. ERA hovering right around three. He's giving up less than a home run per nine inning, so he's been very solid. I will say for Eliza Hernandez, this is a guy that's giving up too much hard contact. He's giving up over two home runs per nine innings, one and four record. He was absolutely terrific out there in the AAA level, but perhaps he's starting to put things together as he wound up getting a start against the Arizona Diamondbacks a few days ago. Went four innings, which not great length there, but he only gave up one run. And I will say for the Miami Marlins, the bullpen has been much improved. And I know that 20 and 30 doesn't sound impressive for the road record, but their home record is right around the same market. The Tampa Bay Rays have actually been much worse at home than they have been on the road. On the road so far this year, the Rays have 22 losses to 35 wins. Meanwhile, their home record going into this game, 28 and 26. I find that a little bit befuddling. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, you do have a lot of guys that are doing a solid job of being able to get on base and supply some power at the same time. Obviously, Garcia and Austin Meadows are really leading that charge. Garcia has 14 home runs, 275 batting average. Austin Meadows has 17 dingers. He's hitting more in the realm of a 285. Yandy Diaz has been out of the lineup a little bit for this team, but he's been able to supply some power whenever he's out there. Tommy Pham is back to fold. 275 batting average for him. He's got 16 home runs. G-Man Choi is hitting a 265. Matt Duffy's been doing a great job of getting on base. He, Eric Sogard, Mark Brusseau, all guys hitting between a 290 and a 300. They acquire Jesus Aguiar from the Brewers. He was a hot mess with them this year, but last year he was actually one of the better power bats out there in the big leagues. Kevin Kiermeyer and Willie Adamas are two guys hitting between a 238 and a 250 as well. Mike Zanino on the catcher spot in general has been absolutely awful, but Travis Arnaud is hitting right around a 250 and has been able to supply some power. Meanwhile, with the Miami Marlins, you've got a team that is not doing a great job with regards to being able to get men on base, but you do have Brett Anderson, who has 16 home runs, 243 batting average. Miguel Rojas has been doing a nice job of being able to give a 290 batting average as well. Garrett Cooper, who has been in and out of the lineup the past few days, he's hitting right around a 300 as well. Harold Ramirez has seen his batting average dip to a 270, but you've got Neil Walker starting to pick it up again. His batting average hovering right around a 260. That is also what Jorge Alfaro is hitting. He's been in and out of the lineup as well, but Brian Holiday at the catcher spot also doing a nice job. His batting average is a 290, and they just recently got back John Beretti. He's hitting a 255 for this bunch. You got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up as well. Cesar Puello for the year between 
his stint with the with the Marlins and the LA Angels, he's hitting below the Mendoza line. And then you've got Yadiel Rivera, Curtis Granderson, both hitting below a 200. The outfield spot has just not been very good for the Miami Marlins. And I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. If you're seeing the Miami Marlins as just an absolutely outrageous favorite, I might be looking at them. But if we're seeing something more conventional like the Rays minus 155, the Rays minus 160, something like that, going to be riding with the Rays run line, going to depend on the price a little bit. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1 for set plays there. 929, 930 on the bang rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies are playing host to the Chicago White Sox. Ross Setweiler goes for the White Sox. Aaron Supernola for the Philadelphia Phillies. Your total on this game is 9.5. Under is just a minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the White Sox, you are going to be getting a big plus price. Anywhere between plus 220 and plus 230. Want to lay it with the Phillies. Minus 260 across the board. And there's a reason why you're paying this premium. It's because the Chicago White Sox over the course of, I believe, their last 18 games going into Friday, had scored three runs or fewer in 13 of them. This is a team that has not been able to get a whole lot going, but I will say this for the Philadelphia Phillies, they are an offense that has been struggling a little bit as well. You've got a couple guys that are doing a good job of getting on base. Be hitting between a 273 and a 286 for this team. Cesar Hernandez, Gene Segura, JT Riamuto, and Scott Kingery, all in that neighborhood. Adam Mazzelli has been hitting at 265, but then you got Bryce Harper. He's hitting at 251, and he certainly has been supplying the power. He and Reese Hoskins have a combined 41 home runs, but he's not living up to his contract. He's got one of the highest strikeout rates out there in the big leagues. The on-base percentage of a 373 is nice, but you expect more out of $300 million. Reese Hoskins himself has been in a little bit of a power outage. He's hitting right around at 260, just has not been hitting too many home runs since the beginning of the year. And then you've got guys like Nick Ramirez, Roman Quinn. They're all hitting below a 200. And with the Chicago White Sox, you do now have Tim Anderson back in the fold. He's hitting above a 300. You've got James McCann who's hitting right around a 275, along with Ryan Goins. Eloy Jimenez is also back, only getting a 235. He struggled ever since coming off the injured list. But how about Jose Abreu getting a home run yesterday for this team? 265 batting average, 23 home runs, 76 RBI. This is a team that is going to be without Yoan Moncada for a little bit, which stings. But you do have Yomer Sanchez hitting right around 250. Adam Engel more in the neighborhood of a 240. And I will say this for the White Sox. Bullpen of this team has been very good. Guys like Aaron Bummer, Alex Colome and company have been able to come in and do a great job. The Philadelphia Phillies bomb 10 bullpen with regards to ERA. Now, they obviously did make some big contributions and they did revamp it a little bit, but I still don't have a lot of faith in it. With Ross Detweiler, though, hard to have a lot of faith in this guy because he's given up seven home runs in 22 and two-thirds innings. 635 ERA. This guy has just been hit around left, right, and sideways. Meanwhile, Aaron Nola... May not have the numbers that warrant his 9-2 record with a 372 ERA. And he has given up four runs in two out of his last three starts. But you take a look at Aaron Nola in general. Over the course of his last eight starts, he has given up one run or fewer in six of them as well. So aside from those two starts in which he gave up four, he has been absolutely tremendous. And he's going to be getting a White Sox team that is at its weakest. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Philadelphia Phillies on the run line in this spot. And I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. Certainly would like to lay a little bit less juice on the under. I'm noticing that there is a lot of movement there. And I'm currently seeing the run line of the Philadelphia Phillies at minus 130. Would like to be able to lay a little bit less juice there, if at all possible. But I am certainly going to be riding out both of those. And we wrap things up with 931-932 on the banging rotation. An interleague matchup between the St. Louis Cardinals with the road to face off against the Oakland A's. Mike Straight Fires goes for the A's. 
Dakota Hudson for the St. Louis Cardinals. Total on this game is 9. The under is juice of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the A's, laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 128. Plus price with the St. Louis Cardinals, anywhere between plus 115 and plus 118. Dakota Hudson has been absolutely tremendous for the St. Louis Cardinals. Team is 11-2 in his last 13 starts, though he did wind up getting exploded upon against the Houston Astros. That was, I believe, the first start of the year in which he gave up more than three earned runs in a start. Might have been the second one, but it was, at the very least, the first one ever since the beginning of the month of May. So that obviously did not go his way. But we do know that the Marine layer is going to be out there in Oakland, so that should allow Dakota Hudson, a guy that's giving up more than 1.5 home runs per nine innings, to have an easier job keeping the ball in the yard. But Mike Fires. What more can be said about him? Ever since the beginning of the month of May, he's given up three earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts, and this guy is just an innings eater. In every one of his starts since May 13th, he has gone at least six innings. He has been an absolute rock for this team, and he's backed up by one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues in the Oakland A's. I will say the St. Louis Cardinals, they counter with one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. I believe that both these teams rank the top eight in regards to ERA for the year, and in regards to the last 30 days, they're both in the top eight in that regard as well. And with Paul Goldschmidt, this is a guy that has a home run in seven out of his last 10 games. He has really heated up for the St. Louis Cardinals. His batting average is now at a 260, and it's been much needed. And what else has been much needed is his sidekick. Paul DeYoung being able to kick in as well. This is a gentleman that is now hitting above at 250 as well. 18 home runs for him. Yadio Munoz is hitting at 275 and Colton Wong is hitting at 270 so they've been picking things up. Matt Wieters is hitting right around at 240 and I will say they're getting some unexpected contributions out of Lane Thomas at the center field spot. He might be able to warn a couple more at-bats as he's hitting at 350 for this team. Taylor Edmonds hitting at 260. Dexter Fowler's been in a little bit of a funky hitting at 240 but then you've got Jose Martinez selling at 275 for this bunch and then you take a look at the Oakland A's. You've really got to like what you you're seeing out of so many of these guys like Matt Chapman and Matt Olson and company. Matt Chapman, 24 home runs, 262 batting average. Ramon Loreno has been in and out of the lineup recently. You do want to note that he's on the 10-day injury list because this was a guy that not only plays a great center field spot, but is hitting 285 with 19 home runs. So he has obviously been missed a little bit, but picking up the uh, but picking up the slack, as I mentioned before, Matt Olson with his 255 batting average, 22 home runs for him. He's getting a home run every, I would say, 13 or so at bats. Marcus Simeon is hitting at 270. You also now have Nick Martini back in the fold. He wound up making a couple pinch hitting appearances in the series against the Milwaukee Brewers. You do need a little bit more out of guys like Trix and Profar and... Franklin Barreto, both these guys in the infield are hitting below a 215, but Chad Bender hitting right around to 245, and then you've got Mark Hanna being able to supply some good wood, 255 batting average, 17 home runs for him, and with the acquisitions that the Oakland A's made to revamp their bullpen, including pulling in Jake Diekman. I do think that Mike Fires is going to be able to get, give a good start, and I do think that the Oakland A's are going to be able to pull out a little bit of a lower-scoring game. So for that reason, going to be going with the Oakland A's in this spot and the total under. With the under, I certainly hope that I can get a little bit better than minus 110, but if I'm not able to get anything better than the minus 110, I'm certainly going to take it. And I'm noticing a little bit of money coming in on the St. Louis Cardinals. So currently we ain't seen one on both of those. As that'll wrap it up for this Saturday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. I would like to thank our guest, Sean Zerill of the Action Network, for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet in at one And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. And I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining in.